Here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, we're about to start teaching through a new book of the Bible, and we're going to be teaching through the book of Ephesians. And uh, the reason that we're going to be teaching through the book of Ephesians is about a month or two ago, I was reading kind of through the entire New Testament, and I don't know if you've ever hit those times where you're just kind of overwhelmed by life, but I was kind of overwhelmed by life, and as I was reading, the book of Ephesians just stepped out as this book that just describes how big Jesus really is. He just describes him as huge and able to overcome anything. And as I was reading that book, literally I didn't even make it out of the first chapter before I knew this was the book we needed to teach next. Now here's what we're going to do with it. I really believe that everybody's, the biggest thing about everybody is we, we never quite, um, we never live past our view of, of how big God is. And one of the things that I'm going to encourage you to do, um, who in here has ever read The Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer? Has anybody ever read that before? Knowledge of the Holy? Anybody? Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> She's, I love the way you did that. That was beautiful. Um, in this book, though, it's probably one of the better books that I've ever read on uh, just, just it, it kind of takes everything out of the Bible and describes who God is. But let me just read something to you out of it. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. No religion has ever been greater than its idea of who God is. The most important fact about any person is not what he or she at a given time may say or do, but what he or she in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. Now, all he's talking about there is, is the greatest thing we can do for one another is to increase our view of God. And that's what this book does. And if you've never read it, highly encourage you. Or even if you've read it before, I would dive back into it. The other thing that we're going to be doing, and I've always wanted to do this, and we did it once here, is we read a whole book of the Bible. And we're going to read all of the book of Ephesians today. Um, we're not going to read it. We're going to have somebody read it to us. But here's why. I really believe that the greatest thing that any of us can do is just on our own to grab our own Bibles and just sit down and let God speak to us through his word. And sometimes, in fact, I would say when somebody gets up to preach, they don't mean to, but they can get in the way of what God is trying to say. And so there's this, this unadulterated thing that when the word of God is read, how powerful it is. The other part of it is, is that some people in here, they're not very good readers. And so what we're going to do is, is we're, we've got it on video and audio. And so if you ever want to, instead of like sitting down to read your own Bible, we're going to start to put a lot of this on video and audio so that you can just hit play for those of you that are extremely lazy. And, and it'll just start to be read to you. And in fact, I think this the way that it's read this morning is going to be a massive encouragement to you. But the last thing is, is we're going to then offer that. We're going to have Preston Sprinkle, who's one of our professors over at EBC. And let me tell you something. He hit the nail on the head last service. What he's going to do is he's going to then take all that stuff that we read out of the book of Ephesians. He's going to give us three main things to be watching for as a body. As you read it on your own, as we preach, it's just going to be these three things to just hang your hat on of who God is and what he's doing on this planet. And then in light of that, what we're going to do is we're just going to tell God how amazing he is by how we sing to him at the very end of it. So that's what we're going to do. Now, if everybody could, just real quick, could everybody stand up and just pray with me? The biggest mistake people make before they read the word of God is to not just sit down and, first of all, ask God to do a work. Now, just could you turn the lights down just a little bit for me? So if you could, I'm just going to kind of guide you through some time of prayer, and we're just going to prepare ourselves to hear the word of God. Here's the first thing. 
just alone with the Lord, is there any sin in your life right now that you need to confess? And if there is sin in your life, just take the next few moments here and just confess sin to God and ask him to please forgive you that sin. The Bible talks about how the whole work of Jesus is then he's, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so just take some time, confess sin. If you have any sin between maybe you and your wife, even right now, or your, your husband, just lean over and even ask forgiveness from them. And if there's anything that went on, just you got a little hot on your way to church this morning, whatever it might be, is there any sin that you just need to lean over and confess to your spouse in, in any way? Parents and kids, is there anything at all that you need to confess to them? The next thing is, is, is that the only way you're going to understand the Word of God is for the Spirit of God to reveal it to you. The Bible talks about these things that we're about ready to do. They're spiritually appraised. In other words, God has to do it for you. Take the next few moments and just ask God, beg Him to open up your ears, open up your mind, open up your heart to truly hear God's Word as it's read to you. Some of you are tired this morning. (laughs) Ask God to help you to not fall asleep. (laughs) I have to do that on a lot of mornings. Just ask the Spirit of God to keep me awake, to keep me so that I truly hear God's Word. And now just take a little bit of time and pray for everybody, all of us in this room. Pray that God would truly allow us all of us, to hear God's word and to be changed by it. Just the unadulterated word of God read. Beg God to change us by what we read. God, thank you so much for letting us be here this morning. Thank you so much that we get to hear your word read. Thank you so much just for the the reality that there's people throughout time that have died so that we might get your word so that we might be able to hold in our hands the Bible. And now, Father, I pray, I beg you, would you please do the miraculous work of allowing us to truly hear the Bible read, that we would hear your words, that as we listen to them, we'd understand those aren't Paul's words. In fact, those are your words that came through him, that we would understand and, and, and hear and listen and, and be thrilled to know that we have a God that wants to speak to us, He wants to speak to us in ways in which are so clear and so obvious. And so I beg you, would you please do that this morning? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and a power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. 
for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about to every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which, is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is in himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That was beautiful. The uh, unadulterated Word of God being read to us. I don't know if I've ever done that before. I think that was uh, just very exciting to just to hear God speak to us directly. Um, I'm going to try to, for the next few minutes, to help us understand some foundational things in the book of Ephesians, but really, um, the climax has already been stated, has it not? The Word of God has been read. In There's an Old Testament story in the book of 2 Kings about a prophet named Elisha, who uh, he and his servant, they're being chased down by a foreign army called the Arameans. And they are stuck in this city called Dothan. And the Arameans, the king of Aramea, sends a huge, massive army to go and get Elisha. And overnight, they, they circle the city, and they're getting ready to go in and capture Elisha. And in the morning, Elisha's servant wakes up. He looks over the city walls, and he sees this massive army surrounding the city. He runs. He wakes up Elisha, and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? We are surrounded by this massive army. And Elisha says to his servant, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's probably wondering why Elisha's been smoking so early in the morning, because clearly they are way outnumbered. But then Elisha prays, he says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And God opened the eyes of the servant And he saw that the mountains were covered with horses and chariots of fire. God's angelic army had been surrounding the human army all along. And it's interesting, it's very interesting that Elisha's servant did not have a wrong view of reality. When he looked out, there really was a massive army and they really were going to kill him and Elisha. But his perspective on reality was simply limited to the things that he could see. It's also very interesting that God didn't quite show up when Elisha prayed. God was already there. Elisha's servants simply lacked the spiritual insight to see what God was doing at that very moment. I think the same is very true of us, is it not? That so many times we are waiting for God to show up and God is already there. God is there working right under our noses. We just need the spiritual insight to see what God is doing. The reason why I start with the story is because this is exactly what Paul prays through the book of Ephesians, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened so that we may know the surpassing power of Jesus Christ at work in the world today. He is at work. We just need the spiritual insight to see what Jesus is doing. Let's pray. Father, we... We ask you that you would open our eyes this morning. Open our eyes, Lord, just to see what you are doing in the world today. Open our eyes so that we can see what you are doing in our country. Give us the spiritual insight, Lord, 
so that we can see what you are doing in Simi Valley. And Lord, I pray that you would open up all of our eyes to see how you are working in and through us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What I want to do in the next um, few minutes is simply to summarize for you some of the major themes that we find in Ephesians. So that as we're reading through this book in, in, your, uh, in your private devotions, whatever, in your home groups, your, your community groups, um, or even here on Sunday, that as you're reading through this book over and over for the next few months, that you would uh, have your antennas up to sort of see how Paul is articulating some of the major themes in this book. And the first theme that I want to talk about is what we saw in the story of Elisha and his servant, and that is the spiritual realm. I'll try and give you a brief little title that you can memorize and then expand on that uh, a bit more. So the first title is simply the spiritual realm, namely that the spiritual realm or the invisible realm is just as real as the visible realm. In other words, we are living in a parallel universe where there's loads of stuff that we can see and we often pay attention to that, but there's also this entirely um, invisible reality where God is at work as well. And that is something we see throughout Ephesians and it's what Paul prays that God would give us the ability to pay attention to through the Holy Spirit. Paul prays that we would see our situation in, in light of the grand creation-wide battle that God is waging through us against Satan and his forces. This may seem a little bit weird if you've been raised in the West where we don't talk about these things very often, but this is very clear in the book of Ephesians that God is waging a war right now, right under our noses, and he wants you to participate in that war. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Uh, He says this very clearly when he says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle just against the, the human affairs in the world, but against rulers, against authorities. And that's a rulers and authorities is just a first century way of saying all the demonic forces in the world today. We wrestle against the demonic forces, against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war. He even connects this when he gives exhortations like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because then you give the devil a foothold, a place to enter your life. You open up a window to spiritual darkness when you don't let the sun go down, or when you do let the sun go down on your anger. One of Satan's greatest tactics in the West is to convince Christians that he does not exist. Because if, we, if he can convince us that he doesn't exist, then we don't pay attention to these things. And we need God to help us to pay attention that there is more going on in the world than simply the things we can touch and taste and see. Those things can only be, or can sometimes be a distraction. Sometimes we, again, like Elisha's servant, sometimes we, we, we think we want God to show up, but there's so many times when God is at work and we just need to pay attention to what he is doing. The spiritual realm is just as real 
as the physical realm. That's the first thing that I want us to see in Ephesians. The second thing, um, and you may have picked it up when you were uh, reading along a few minutes ago, is that Paul emphasizes the church quite often. The word church comes up uh, almost in every chapter in the book of Ephesians. Now, when, when Paul's talking about the church... He's not referring to a, a Sunday service. He's not referring to a building. He's referring to uh, the, the people of God around the world. He's referring to the gathering of God's people. And throughout the book of Ephesians, he articulates, Paul articulates, how he wants God's people to, to get along as a body. And so in chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, he gives many exhortations about loving one another, forgiving one another, um, not being bitter towards one another, being tender-hearted, serving one another. And Ephesians is very much concerned with how the, the church functions as a body, how we as the people of God will get along. But the number one thing that Paul hits on in the book of Ephesians is that the church would be unified. Over and over and over in the book of Ephesians, Paul hammers home the fact that we as a church need to be unified. We need to have a unified body. We see this in um, uh, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5 and 6 where he really hits home this idea that he wants the church to be one, to be single-minded, to, be, um, to join in arms and devoting ourselves to Christ. But even more than just unity... Paul says that unity is most beautifully and powerfully expressed in diversity. Jesus said something similar, right, in Matthew 5, when he says, look, if, if you just love those who love you, if you're just friends with those who befriend you back, what power is there in that? Hey, who doesn't do that? There's no, there's no uniqueness to just getting along with the people that you get along with. What is most beautifully and powerfully expressed in the gospel is when there is a diverse group of people that come together and worship Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11 to 22, he talks about Jews and Gentiles coming together in one body. Diversity in race. He talks about, uh, in chapter 4, um, all the different gifts that God has given us. And these this diverse group of gifted people are to come together and edify each other. In chapter 5 and chapter 6, he talks about husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. So you have diversity in gender, diversity in age, diversity in social class. Ephesians talks a lot about diversity, but most of all, this diversity is most beautifully and powerfully expressed, um, or this unity is most beautifully and powerfully expressed when it's a unity among diverse people. If you have your Bibles, go with me to chapter 3, and there's um, a really powerful section here where uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And after mentioning that statement, it's almost, like he, it's almost like Paul steps back and just reflects on the magnitude of what it means to be an agent to the Gentiles. To, to be a, a Jewish apostle who's going to 
reach Gentiles and bring them into this covenant relationship with this Jewish God. And, and Paul steps back and just recognizes the magnitude and, and just unbelievable nature of this mission. And so he sort of digresses in verse 2 and 3 and following in chapter 3 and, and just reflects on how, how in the Old Testament that this was a mystery, how God would accept a Gentile, but they had to first become a what? A Jew. And take on the, the dietary laws and be circumcised and so on. But now in Jesus, all of that's done away with. In Jesus, God affirms each and every person in their own ethnicity. What matters is faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ alone. And this was a mystery in the Old Testament. But now in Jesus, this mystery has been blown apart and revealed to the nations. And then Paul in verse 8, he's like, you know, I used to kill these people. I used to persecute the church. And I am just blown away that me, the, the least of all the saints, have been chosen by God to be an agent to bring in the Gentiles. A diverse group of people coming to worship alongside the Jewish people. What an amazing thought. But it doesn't stop there. Why would God do that? Why would God want a diverse group of people to come together in one body. Is, is it to, um, to stretch us? Yeah, I guess that would be stretching. But it's not about us. Is it, is it just to, to make us get along with each other? Well, yeah, that's, that's good, but it's not about us. Is it, is it to teach us about other cultures and, and other, other people? Well, yeah, that, that's a good thing, but it's not about us. It's about him. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is the climax of this whole idea of, of Gentiles coming into the body. The whole reason God did this is so that the church, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be broadcasted, would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God wants to broadcast his victory over Satan and his forces. And this is broadcasted when the diverse people of God come together and worship King Jesus. And it's the diversity in that that sounds the victory louder than anything else. Whenever God's people gather together, especially when it's a diverse group of people, we are a tangible evidence of the power of the blood of Christ. And when we gather, even here, we're sort of diverse. <laughs> we could do a little better. But there's some different types of people here. When we are together right here, I am confident that Satan and his forces are screaming, No! No! We tried to stop this from happening, but here they are worshiping Jesus. We tried to split them apart. We tried to cause racial division, social division, and we've succeeded in, in World War II with the Holocaust. We succeeded in, in Rwanda where people were killing each other. But on Sunday morning, these people come together and they show that Jesus is more powerful and that his victory is complete.
Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, poor, rich, young, old, redneck, gangster, whatever your flavor. (laughs) When diverse people come together and worship Jesus, there is something very spiritual that goes on. Behind the scenes, we don't even realize what's going on right now in the spiritual realm. How the heavenly host is singing for joy and Satan is recognizing his defeat. Jesus said something similar in John 17, that that beautiful, uh, we call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying to the Father uh, right before he dies. In that prayer, he says, I ask you, Father, that all who believe in me would be one, even as I and you are one, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The world will know that the Father has sent the Son If we're unified. But if we're bickering and fighting, complaining about the color of the carpet, type of music, whatever, all the stuff that Christians bicker about, when we do that, people won't believe that the Father sent the Son. The third point I want to make in Ephesians is Christ. So the spiritual realm, the church, and Christ. Now, of course, the whole New Testament's about Christ, the whole Bible's about Christ, but Ephesians is is unique in its exalted language about Christ and his reign over all creation. According to Ephesians, Christ is the undisputed Lord of all creation. He is the purpose, he is the goal, he is the climax of everything that has happened in the history of the world, yesterday, today, and forevermore. In chapter 1, the climax of this beautiful section, this opening section in verse 3 to 14, where Paul is just going on and on about all that God has purposed to do in Jesus and how, how we reap the spiritual benefits of what God has done in Jesus. At the climax of this, God, uh, Paul says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, or some translations say, to sum up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That word uh, to unite literally means to, uh, to, bring, to bring something to its main point or its intended goal. To bring something to its main point or its intended goal. In other, in other words, Paul is saying that God has summed up everything in Jesus. Jesus is the summary of the history of the universe. He is the point of it all. The exaltation and reign of Jesus is the point of everything. And that is why we're here today to celebrate the reign of King Jesus and his lordship over all creation. 
He is the center. He is the climax. He is the end goal of all creation. If we miss him, we miss everything. He is our master. He is our Lord. He is our creator. And he is our king. If you're new to Christianity, or maybe you're just here checking things out, this is, this is so important to understand. It's so important to understand that Jesus... Jesus is not just a private little religious experience because Jesus is not a private little God. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus is very personal and cares for us as individuals very much, but he is not a private Lord, and there's a huge difference there. Jesus accepts us as individuals. He cares for us personally, and he does rule over our personal, private lives, but his rule is never limited to that. He is king over all creation, and even though he's king over me, one of these days I'm going to die, and Jesus' lordship will not end. His kingship transcends any individual. He is king of all creation. He is not just a a private religious experience that sort of gives us a little spiritual push when we need one. He is the rightful king over all creation. 2,000 years ago, there was a cosmic battle that happened. And Satan and his forces, they won, or so they thought. Because three days after Jesus died, he burst out of the grave and proclaimed victory to all things. And his reign, his lordship was exalted over all things through his resurrection. And sometimes it's tough to see it now, but one day he will return with scepter in his hand, a crown on his head. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he was, that he is, and that he forever will be the king of all creation. When you become a Christian, it's not so much that you have accepted Jesus as king into your own personal life. There's some truth to that. But I think more accurately, When we become a Christian, it's that the king has accepted us with open arms into his kingdom where he rules over all things. Uh, Ephesians 1, 20 and following says that God has worked in Christ. He has raised him up from the dead. He has seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And everything is subject to King Jesus. Or as one writer said, there is not one square inch of the entire universe where Jesus has not said, this is mine. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says that all things have been created by Jesus and all things have been created for Jesus And in him all things hold together. The very fabric of the universe is held together by King Jesus. And so I'm very excited to celebrate with you the majesty of this King Jesus as we study Ephesians over the next few months. Um, 
we're actually going to do something different. We're going to, if you notice, we didn't sing yet. <laughs> we're, going to, uh, we're going to sing after the uh, word now. Um, or actually, I think Todd's going to come up and, and, and say a few things. Um, in Colossians 3.16, it says, let, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So as we sing over the next few minutes, let's reflect on the lordship and kingship and beauty and majesty of King Jesus and celebrate his victory today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for conquering the grave. Thank you for giving us new life in Jesus, Lord, and thank you for considering us worthy to be called citizens of the kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that this congregation today and in each day to come, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and magnified and that your rule and your reign over all creation would be proclaimed. In Christ's name we pray, amen.